0: I that uh, the word must have gotten around that I was speaking. Uh, uh, Dan just told me that this is the lowest attendance you guys have had in six months. So I, I appreciate you guys who are here. Thank you so much. I, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. The book of Daniel, chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 and what I would say is this I just want to again thank you guys for allowing me to be here with you and to talk with you and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll learn something together in the word of God and I want to thank uh, brother Dan for allowing me uh, to be able to come as well I'm, a, I'm excited to get a chance to be able to share with you guys uh, tonight well let's go ahead and hopefully your Bibles are now open to Daniel chapter 1 let's go ahead and pray just for a moment. Jesus, we thank you so much, God, for today. We thank you for tonight. I uh, thank you for everyone who is here tonight, dear Jesus. I, uh, I realize that, of my, I always realize my own inadequacies of the inability for me to be able to truly speak uh, whenever I get out of my comfort zone. Uh, but God, I love these young people dearly. God, I want the very best for them. And I just pray that you would open up their minds, open up their ears, to help them to understand what the word of God says. God help me to be able to communicate. God, even where I fail, I tr- and trust the Spirit fully and completely. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well listen, tonight, uh, I really want to talk to you about the, on this subject, no compromise. No compromise. Now, what does it mean if somebody were to sit back and and talk about um, um, compromising their convictions? If I were to say that somebody was to compromise their convictions, what I'm trying to get at is the idea that a person would, would know what to do is right, not only in their mind, but in their heart. You know how you know something's right, there's no confusion about it, you know it, you feel it within your heart, and yet even though they would know it, know very clearly what is right and what is wrong, they still willfully choose to do the wrong thing. Now they do the wrong thing usually because it's easier, usually because it's more convenient or because it feels better. Or it makes their life go a little bit easier. At least that's the way that they perceive it. When we do that, when we go against what we know to do what is right, that's what I mean when I use the word or the phrase compromising our convictions. You know, when you look in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, uh, we see we see a lot of stories and we see a lot of people uh, that are great men and women of God from Genesis to Revelation. We see um, great men, great women, and they seem to have great hearts for God and they were used for God in great ways. But one thing that we find is almost every single one of them, that as much as they loved God, there was still a time in their life, especially those that the Bible really teaches a lot about those individuals. Somewhere in their life, they compromised. It happened to Adam. It happened to Abraham, it happened to David, and in the New Testament it even happened to Peter, one of Jesus' own disciples. They compromised, they went against what they thought was right because, flat out, it was easier, it was more simple. But we do find a couple examples in the Word of God, which is interesting, of people that we find out about, that we learn a great deal about, and we see a huge portion of their life revealed in the Word of God. Literally, we see kind of like when they're born, we see them when they're young, and we see them grow up all the way through. And it's interesting because there's a few of them that no matter how closely we study, we can't find anywhere in the Word of God where they ever compromise their faith in God. Now, that doesn't mean that they were perfect, doesn't mean that they never sinned. It just means that the Bible never really records a major time in their life where they begin to really compromise something that they knew to be true. One of those characters in the Bible is a man by the name of Daniel. And you guys probably know Daniel, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I want to kind of share a story that most people, well, are probably not as familiar with. It's kind of in the beginning, some of you are, who grew up in church. And what I hope to do is this. I hope by the time that we're done tonight together, that some of you will Make a commitment within your heart and before God that there will be no compromise for you in your walk with God. And so the first thing we just kind of want to see in our text and our story tonight is this. We want to see the world's pressure to compromise. We see in our text that the world is pressuring you to go against your beliefs and your convictions, and that pressure is great. Let me give you a little background to our text. This story, when this begins to happen, this occurs somewhere in about 605 B.C., and what we find is this, is is the army of the Babylonians, underneath the leadership of their king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, they go into the southern portion uh, of God's Uh, ...of God's land into the southern kingdom, and they take Judah and all their people, they defeat their army, and then they take the majority of the people back with them a long way away, all the way back into Babylon. And so they literally find themselves in a completely new world, completely different than anything that they had never known before. The the, the, the speech is different, the food is different, uh, their belief system is completely different from anything that they're familiar with at all. Even the houses are different. They are literally foreigners in a strange world. Now, when they get there, they immediately begin to face great pressure to conform and to leave their beliefs that they once knew and to begin to live underneath this in these new ways to believe new things. And the pressure came in two major ways. The first way that the pressure came is that the Babylonians wanted to pressure them to compromise by, first of all, changing the way that they thought changing their mindset, changing what they believe to be true. Look what the Bible says in verse 3. The Bible says, Then, king, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, all right, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and of, no, of nobility, of royal family and of nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and uh, competent to stand in the king's palace. Now notice this. It says, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So here's what they wanted to do. The king, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebi, he says, hey guys, bring them. This is what I want you to do. I want you to re-educate them. Everything they know, I want them to, everything they've learned, I want them to unlearn. I want you to take all of our knowledge and replace it with the knowledge that they have. This thing is eat me up, this little tag here. Sorry about that. All right, I'll just stick it out that way. Does that look good? Does that look cool? All right. Quit looking at it. Stop it. All right. So what, what we're doing is, this, is, so they go into there, and so basically, they're not just trying to re-educate. They're trying to brainwash. Okay? They're trying to take everything that they know about their God everything they know about living before God, pleasing God, entrusting themselves to God, and they want to bombard them with masses of information so that underneath the weight and the pressure of all that information, it begins to push out everything that they had previously learned about their God. In essence, what they want to do is they want to them to exchange a the truth for a lie. They want to get the truth out of their mind to fill it with Lies. And in essence, the easiest way to say this is they want them to remove every remembrance of God that they had within them. Now, they understand that this is not going to be easy. They grew up in a different culture. They grew up learning all about God. And so this was not going to be easy. It was going to take time. Because they knew that these young people, you know, they they were part of Celebration Baptist Church, right? And they know the difference between right and wrong. They know it's not right to drink, smoke, chew, or run around with those that do. These are bad things. And so when they get into the new culture, all of a sudden they say, It's okay to smoke, to drink, and chew. And what do the wonderful little boys and girls and teenagers and young men and women say? say at celebration, it's not right and they're appalled. At first they know that they're appalled but here's what happens over a period of time over a long period of time and over a lot of pressure and over a lot of different kinds of teaching, they are no longer nearly offended by it they kind of begin to warm up with it. They just don't really think it's nearly as big of a deal. The things that they were once offended of and appalled by and thought were so horrible, now it's really not that big of a deal. And then they begin to kind of question, well, maybe there's really not all that wrong with this at all. And so they begin to kind of teach them all of these things and not only trying to change their mind, but they also went as far as changing their names. Look in verse six, if you will. The Bible says it says among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. Now, this is very significant that they received new names. These other names that they had, like, for example, Daniel. Daniel, the last part of that, El, Daniel, El, that is the part in the Hebrew name, is a part of God's name. Is a part of God's name. Uh, Elohim is where that's taken from. And each one of these Jewish boys, they had a name for God placed within their own name so that they would remember whose they were. In fact, the name Daniel means Elohim is my judge. But when they get in there, remember what they're trying to do. They're trying to get them to forget about God. They're trying to get, to take out of their minds everything that they've ever learned about God. Guys, sit still in the back, okay? And so, just sit, sit, I'll call you, I was a youth minister for ten years, I don't play around. You, you hear what I'm saying? Alright, so they were ten years, right Dan? Alright, so, so here's the deal. So, so if it, 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 they want to change their name completely, so they take God, the one true God out of it. They give them new names and now they have these new crazy funky gods. As their names, okay? For example, Daniel goes to Belshazzar, and the name Bel is one of these crazy gods, uh, and, and his name now means, may Bel protect you. So they change all of their names from the one true God, to remove any thought of God from their mind, and now to be able to change everything they do. Why? To blot out any memory of God that they had altogether. Why do I explain all this? I know you're wondering why. And let me explain. It's because you live and I live in a very similar culture that they do. I want you to understand that you guys, just like Daniel and those boys, are not living in your permanent home. The Bible says that you are sojourners, that I am a sojourner if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. This is not all there is. There's another land. There's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth and God is going to be ruling fully and completely. You might be citizens of the United States, but you are ultimately citizens of the kingdom of God if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You guys get that? And so what happens is we oftentimes feel uncomfortable. And here's the truth. We should feel uncomfortable in this foreign land. Because most of what is being taught from your schools, yes, I'm going to step out, from your schools and the education system from Washington is, is, is completely anti-God. It is completely devoid of God. Are, are you with me? Before you were ever born, and before I was just about born, there was prayer in school. You might even pray every once in a while here. But across the nation, schools used to start and end with prayer. But what happened is, people began to get upset. And they said, you know, I don't think we should have prayer in school. People were offended. What do you mean no prayer in school? But as they kept pushing and pushing and pressuring, 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 eventually, they got the courts to pass no more prayer in school. Do you see that? Now people really don't think that it's really all that big of a deal to not have it. Do you see, oh, slowly over a long period of time, that pressure? They begin, the believers begin to conform to this world. We see it in many other ways, uh, really, in there. I don't know if you guys still do the Pledge of Allegiance. Do you the, do the Pledge of Allegiance? Some of you do. That's great. We, it hasn't reached us yet. Praise God. Hopefully it doesn't. But the majority of states, especially up in the North, Northeast, that kind of stuff, no longer allow people to say the Pledge of Allegiance because of the phrase at the very end of that one nation, what? Under God. And so what's happening is it's beginning to spread and it's beginning to move. Another another example is we have is evolution. Don't know what you learn in your schools, but let me tell you what they're pushing from an academic standpoint from the government. They want everybody, a long time ago, they begin to say, hey, there's this kind of idea called evolution. Now, we've always believed that it's creation, that God has created all things. And then people said, yeah, but there's this little evolution. People were offended at first. I can't believe you would say that it wasn't God that created it. No, listen, just listen to what we have to say. And over a period of time, they brought it up as a hypothesis. You science guys. Then it became a a theory, right? Where they said that this is the real... Now it becomes really what people, in essence, say, this is how it happened. What's the purpose of evolution, guys? The purpose is to get God completely out of the creation of the world. That's the whole purpose behind it. Let me give you something that might really connect with you a little bit more. Now in the school systems in Washington, D.C., whether it's hit us or not they're trying to push the fact about this concerning homosexuality. And what they're saying in homosexuality is this is listen, long time ago homosexuality, oh, offended. That's wrong, the Bible says it's wrong. But they keep pushing, they keep pressuring, and they keep going. And now what people are saying is listen, it's not really wrong. It's not just that people are born that way. It's just another way of living. It's another, it's just an alternative lifestyle. It's just as legitimate as one man and one woman. Do do you see that? And here's the bad thing. What's happening is with so many young people, and even people right here, some of you would sit there and say, well, I really don't think why it would be wrong. And listen, if you're struggling with homosexuality, let me just say this, God loves you. And your sin is no different than my sin. Whether it be homosexuality or whether it be lying and cheating or stealing, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God loves you and he's got a plan for your life and he will forgive you and he will restore you. Do you understand that? I'm not against one thing over anything else. All sin is what we're against. Not the sinner, but the sin itself. And so what I want you to say is, so there's a lot, even a lot of young people, there's whole denominations, Christian denominations, who are now embracing and saying, hey, listen, it might be okay. Maybe we just need to talk about this whole homosexuality thing. Do, do you see how that works? Are you guys getting that? That at all? Anyone? Help? Okay, flag. There's so much pressure in what's happening is God's people are now beginning to take on the impressions and the thoughts and the thinkings of the culture in which we live when we're really foreigners here. This is not what our ultimate home is supposed to look like. But listen, guys, you take not only what Washington is trying to do, but you also take everything else. Take take your music, secular music. What is it trying to teach? I I think most of you would agree that most of it is at least devoid of God. If not completely anti-God. Are are you with me? Videos? You, You guys with me at all? All right. Books? Magazines? So many TV, right? That's even in my own home. And I'm sitting there going, what in the world's going on? We got to kind of shut that thing up. But what happens? Even with me, sometimes I sit there and go, well, I know that's wrong. But, and just kind of allow it in. There's a tremendous amount of pressure. And so what the Bible says is this. It warns us against such pressure. In Romans chapter 12 in verse 2, it says this. Paul writes and he warns. Listen very carefully. He says, do not be conformed to the world. In other words, he says, do not allow the world to force you and pressure you into its mold. The world wants you to look like it. Do you know what the world looks like? Completely opposite of God. The world wants you to think like it, opposite of the thoughts of God, opposite of the ways of God, opposite of the habits of God, opposite of the things that please God. And the world, who's who's leading the world? Who's leading this charge? Satan, our enemy. And he's sitting there, he hates God. And so he's using all of these means and he's taking you and he's forcing you the best that he can slowly, meticulously pressuring you for the next time you're sitting there thinking and I'm thinking just like the world and we're accepting everything as if this is the way that it is and it's not the way that it is. He says, don't allow the world, literally the word means this, it means don't allow the world to make and form you and pressure you into its mold. Instead, it says here, it says rather be transformed. Don't be formed into what the world wants you to be, but be transformed. In other words, don't even be your old self. Be something completely and utterly new. What is that? What are we trying to be like? What's the goal of the believer? What or who are we trying to be like? Jesus. He says, be transformed. And then he tells us how to do it. He says, by the renewing of your mind. By your mind changing. And changing the way that it was when, from when we were lost to now. We need a new mind. How do we do that? How is our minds changed? Through the word of God. It's the only way for us to know who God is. It's the only way for us to ultimately be able to know what God is ultimately all about. Are you with me? It's through the word of God. So he says, pour this in. Now, we looked at the pressure. Now, the rest of it goes really quick because you're almost home. Okay, almost home free. Here we go. So that was the pressure that the world is trying to get for you to place on you, for you and I to compromise. But how do we resist it? He says, the key has got to be in knowing and submitting to God's word. This is exactly what Daniel does to resist. Notice, if you will, in verse 5. The Bible says this. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. And the wine that he he drank. Then look in verse 8. Notice this. And Daniel removed... He says, removed... Um, Or excuse me, I'm sorry. And Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself in the king's food or with the wine that he drank. That phrase resolved, that word resolved, means that he made a decisive decision in his mind, in his heart, that he would not compromise. That he would do the right thing no matter what the consequence was. He made that decision. Let, let Let me tell you something. You make the decision not to compromise before you're in a compromising situation. You don't sit there and go, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to wait and determine whether I'm going to be with this guy or be with this girl or do this thing or drink when I'm in the midst of the party or I'm with them alone somewhere or whatever. That's not when you make the decision. You make the decisive decision before you ever get into the, into that situation. And this is what Daniel does. He says, listen, if they offer me the food, I am not going to eat the food. Why? What's so wrong with the food? In the book of Leviticus, it was very clearly laid out for God's people what they could and they could not eat. And there were certain foods that God said, I do not want you to eat this food because it is food that is unclean. We'll have to get into all that some other time. But all he knew is that it was a command of God. Here's the question. How do you know it? How do he you know it? How would he know what God would want? Because of the word of God. But how did he get the word of God? Now, here's what I want you to understand. Daniel, the reason I'm picking this part of his life is because he was a teenager. He was a teenager. At this time, the best that we can tell, he was 16 years of age. Anybody 16? Anybody older than 16? We got some younger than 16, right? And so, yeah, we got some younger than 16. So right around the average age from in here, here is Daniel, and something happened at the year of his birth, 16 years before that, in 622 BC. You're like, man, you lost me. Don't, don't give me history. All right, let me just tell you. At that time, King Josiah comes to the throne. In Israel, and there's a radical change. He changes everything that his great-grandfather, the wicked king Manasseh, did. His great-grandfather shut down the temple and made everybody begin to worship false gods and not the one true God. When Josiah, his grandson, comes to the throne, guess what he does? He says, forget this pagan worship. He says, open up the gates, open up the doors to the temple of the one true God. We're going to worship him. And as they do, some of the priests go in and they find something. They find the scrolls of the Word of God. And they begin to teach it. And they begin to teach the Word of God to the people. And the people begin to teach it to their children. And guess what? Their, their, um, uh, um, uh, Daniel began to learn from his parents. And his parents begin to pour the Word into them. That's how he's able to know what is right and wrong. But here's the thing that I want to point out. Stop and think about this. He's not with his parents. He's not with them. He's been taken away completely apart from their all-seeing eye. Do y'all have parents like mine? I'm like, dude, how in the world do you guys know everything I do? Right? I would do something, like, something wrong. I'd sneak out, like, one time in my whole life. It's like the whole world knew it. I'm like, how in the world is that even possible? It's like they, always, they knew it before I knew it. Yeah, I, I was like, I'm going to think, don't you, don't you even think about. I was like, how? I didn't even think about doing that. How they know? I was going to do that, right? And then they gave me the idea. So anyway, and so, so, so the idea there is, is, is they're pushing in, 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 how is it? Look, it would have been so easy for him just to have been able to comfort. How easy would it have been, right? But the question is, why doesn't he? Here's a big reason why. Did his parents have faith? Yes. But the faith he was living by was not his parents' faith, it was his faith. You know, There's a lot of discussion oftentimes about young people and how the moment that they graduate from high school, they're no longer found in the church. 70%, 60%, I don't know what it is, 80%. So everybody's running around and writing all these books. How do we keep you guys in church after you turn 18? How, how, how do we do that? And why in the world are 80% of them out? I'll tell you the simplest answer I know for that. Because everybody's trying to answer it and say, what we need is we need, we need more youth groups. We need an older youth group now that they can all get together and have fun and have big bean bags. No more bean bags. How are we going to keep them in church if we don't have a bean bag? Right? Here's why people leave the church at 18. It's because it was never their faith to begin with. They were at church. Parents made them go to church. They were there because maybe a cute boy or cute girl or whatever it is. But the faith was never theirs. This isn't the way that it worked with Daniel. Daniel's faith was in himself. And what he understood is this. He understood the significance of his name. That whether his parents ever saw what he was doing in the dark or not, he knew that he had a God who did. He remembered his name, Elohim, God is judge. It didn't matter to him whether his parents saw him do something or his youth pastor saw him do something or his friends saw him do something. What mattered is he wanted to be faithful to God. Now stop and think about it, guys. Think about how hard it would have been to do this. You could have gotten away with it. Nobody would have ever known. Because nobody would have... And you could just, just, just make it easy on your life. Remember, for him not to do what they were calling him to do could have very well caused him great suffering and even death if he didn't eat the food that the king was commanding him to do. Imagine how people around them would have been. Even probably their own friends. Listen, Daniel, you're 16. Nobody expects you to stand up under this kind of pressure. Nobody expects you to do what is right in the midst of all of this. Look, your parents aren't here. You didn't ask for this. You didn't ask to be brought out into this foreign country and to, to live under this kind of pressure. I mean, you may die. Listen, nobody is ever going to fault you. It's, listen to this. It's no big deal. It's just a small thing. But for Daniel, it was a big thing. It was a big thing. Every bit of obedience to God was him was huge. Any small little lie or or, or deception or sin in his life was not small. There was no small little lies. For him, there was only rebellion against God. And that's why he wants to be faithful. And there's something that my seminary professor said to me. I remember this. Imagine, if you will, this. My seminary professor comes. We have our midterm. These were massive tests. They took an hour and a half to be able to fill them. And they were just huge. Sometimes it would take you two hours to, to fill out the whole thing. And I remember him coming, our Old Testament professor, Dr. Gagliotti. And uh, he got up and he goes, well, what I want you to do. It's kind of annoying, uh, honestly. But he would sit there, I want you to take these tests home. It's a take-home test. And what's, what's your first thought? It's cheating. That's, yeah, and you know what? You might say that, and thank you for your honesty. But if those hundred and thirty seminary soon-to-be pastor students were to be honest, they would have answered the same exact way. I know for your pastor, the very first thing that came into my mind is, Huh-huh. "Yeah, take home me, me take home me, testy." You know, all right, that nice, nice. This is nice. And then he goes, "All right, you're dismissed." And then we all just about to stand up. And then he goes, oh, just one more thing. Just want to remind you, if you cheat on your test, you'll cheat on your wife. <laughs> you're sitting there and you're like, "But," and it is funny, but stop and think about what he's saying. What he's saying, if, if you're willing to cheat, even in the smaller of things, that means that you're conditioning your heart to be a cheater. And he says, if you think, see, I could have done the other story. I could have done the story about him, the much well-known story, him being thrown, remember, into the lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den, remember, little kid? Daniel in the lion's den, take him out, he is free. <laughs> okay, remember that? And, and the thing, remember, when you, you guys remember what I'm talking about? Remember? This means yes, I can move on, right? Yes. So I could have told you that story. But here's the deal, because why was he thrown in? Because... Because there was a law that was passed that people said, if anybody prays to any other God except for you, O God, King Nebuchadnezzar, that they'll be thrown and killed and thrown into the lion's den. So my question for you is this. I can't tell you that story because if this didn't happen and he wasn't faithful in the little things, he wouldn't have been faithful in the big thing. If he wouldn't have been faithful to stand for what is right when nobody was looking he would have never been faithful to do what is right when he was on the stage in front of everybody else and this is what I want you to understand guys your holiness that means you're being set apart for the purposes of God is extremely serious and if you begin in your heart to begin to compromise on small things now Saying, well, it's not that big of a deal. Let's just go a little bit farther physically or whatever it is. Or let's just go and watch this thing. Not that big deal. Let's, let's fill ourselves with all this type of stuff. It's not big. But you know in your heart of hearts there's conviction there. And you know that it's wrong. But you keep allowing yourself and giving yourself over and ignoring your conscience and giving yourself up to compromise. Then your fall is great ahead of you. You will do horrific things the battle is fought now the patterns right now for the rest of your life are being formed now not when you're adult but now And so this is what the Scriptures and what we find out about this. Let me show you something. He's able to resist. He submits himself to the the Word of God. He makes a decisive decision to please God. Why? Because it's his own faith. It's not anybody else's faith in God. It's his own faith. Let me show you this final thing. God's blessing on those who refuse to compromise. There's a blessing that God gives us. Now now check this out. I want you to see this in the Word of God. In the second half of verse 8, notice something. He says, Therefore... He asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor. Notice that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear that my Lord, the king who has signed your food and your drink for why should you why should he see that you were in, in worse condition than the other youth? Who are you uh, in your own age? He says, so you would endanger my head with the king. So here's what's happening. Daniel has come to know this guy. And here's what's interesting. He's a pagan. He's a Babylonian. He doesn't believe any of the things that Daniel believes. But Daniel has impacted the life of this guy. Because he sees Daniel willing to be able to give up his very life for what he believes. And the Bible says through that, now notice this, through Daniel's witness, God begins to work in the heart of this unbelieving Babylonian man. Now, just check this for a second. I don't know how many of y'all want to have an impact on somebody else's life. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you want to impact other people for Jesus. You do. It's something that God places in the heart of all of us. But here's how people are sitting there going, man, how can we impact this world for Jesus? So some guys get up and go, let's have loud music. Let's have big stages. Let's have big lights. Let's be so cool that people just ultimately want to be one of us. Yeah. But you know what God's mode of really reaching people and changing people is? The holiness of his people. The radical obedience of his people. The willingness of young men and young girls who are willing to sit there and say, I will not compromise. I will do what is right for God because he's not simply my parents, God, he's my God.